Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting Sparks Will Fly as one word, app to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. How many feel good in your soul? All right, let's go to Romans chapter 12. I want to teach some uh, this morning out of Romans chapter 12, uh, where I've been hanging out. And um, last week, I've talked on, on last week, uh, last Sunday, and I also talked on, um, I also shared Wednesday night. We went back. We have the men from the House of Grace come in here that helps me on Wednesday night. And so I really enjoy that time uh, with, with those men just to be able to share the word with them. So last Sunday, I just want to do a recap. If you're not caught up with us of where we're at, we, we got too much ground to cover to go back and cover everything. But here's the gist of us, just of what, what we shared uh, last Sunday. It's basically my, my goal of last Sunday was to say that everyone in this room is, is called by God. You've been gifted by God to do an assignment. You with me? The other thing that I went after is we must we must begin to elevate gifts in the house beside platform gifts because everybody thinks to do something for God, you must lead worship, play an instrument on the worship team, or start preaching. But what you got to understand, if God's gifted you to be a nurse, let me just tell you this other lie. You, I hear a lot of people say this, man, if I could just get half the crown that Billy Graham's going to get, we'll be doing good. Let me tell you this. If your assignment on the earth is to be a mom and a housewife and you raise two children in the admonition of the Lord and you're faithful to your call, you will see, receive the same crown with jewels that Billy Graham will get. That just happened to be his lane to be an evangelist and to win uh, millions of souls to the Lord. Are you with me now? And so... We want to we find the gift that we have, and we want to get that gift activated and get it, get it deployed because it is the saints that cause the growth to the body happen, and it is the saints' job to do the work of the ministry. For so long, the church has sat back, especially in the South, and felt like it was the preacher's job to do the work of the ministry, but that's not what the Bible teaches out of Ephesians 4. It says that the ministry gifts are gifts of Christ. They're giving to the body. Come on now. That means my, my life is a gift to the body of Christ. My life is a gift to the body of Christ. Pastor Junior's gift is a gift to the body of Christ for the equipping of the saints, for, the, for them to do the work of the ministry. Are you with me now? But so we figure we pay the preacher, and that's his job to go do the work of the ministry, and we just go out and do our lives. Come on now. How many knows that God, I'm just, I'm just trying to, it just helps. But God's wanting to raise up a body that their life, they live, move, and have their being in him, that there's no separation of their kingdom life from life. Are you with me now? Jesus wore a seamless robe. There was no seams in it. In other words, there was nothing in his life that divided him from his assignment, who he was in his kingdom life. Are you with me now? All right. So this morning, I want to talk for just a few short minutes um, I'll be cognizant of the time of, of basically how to help you find your strength. Uh, so last week we went through, we talked about the gifts, we talked about what you have. Today I want to try to help you, help you label that thing and help you, um, 
help you find your strength. Now, I've been reading a book. I, I've read, I read him from time to time. He's awesome on leadership stuff, uh, John Maxwell. I was in one of his books. And one of the things that John Maxwell shared in this book, he said in the early 1970s, I think it was around 1970 or 1971, he read this book by the name, by the author named Almer Towns, and it was called The Fastest Growing Churches. And he was starting out and his he was starting out in the ministry. And at that time, the, the model for ministry was is um, that basically you want to be a good pastor to shepherd your people, uh, just be there to help them, help them overcome their weaknesses, be a good counselor and a, big, a good protector of the sheep. And that was the model in which he had. Well, he gets this book by Elmer Towns called The Fastest Growing Churches. And he reads about 10 of the churches in this book, and he said he could not put it down. He said he would just begin to feast and feast on this book, and he realized that these people that had the fastest growing churches was not in his model of what he was doing ministry. They were not trying to be a good shepherd to watch after their people and to sit there and counsel them. Let me say this. Counseling will help you overcome your weakness, but it will never help you reach your potential. The only way you will ever reach your potential is you discover your strength and you focus on that. But what the enemy wants you to do is focus on your weakness and you overlook your strength. Because <laughs> if you focus on your weakness and overlook your strength, you will be average at best. And let me tell you this, successful people is not looking for average people. They're looking for people of excellence and strength. So God wants to, and let me tell you something, everyone sitting in this room, you got a strength. You got a strength, and today I want to help you find your strength because if you can find your strength, you will unmuzzle yourself. Come on, somebody. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. You will grab an air balloon under that water and you will rise to the top. What's keeping you down is not your weakness. What is keeping you at the back of the line is you've not discovered your strength. But by God's grace and mercy, we're going to raise a group of people up in Sparks, Georgia that knows their strength. Listen, I may be weak in that area. God will help me with that. And his grace is sufficient. But I'm going to discover who I am and find my strength, what I'm here for, and I'm fixing to get after it. You with me? All right. I'm about to headbutt something in Jesus' name. Lord God. All right. Now, I want to set this up. I got a bunch of quotes, and so I, I've just, this is my, I'm just using my own journal that I write in, okay? Listen to this quote right here. I think self-knowledge is the rarest trait in a human being. If you find successful CEOs, entrepreneurs, or anyone else in life, one of the qualities they will have is self-awareness. They will know who they are. I think a lot of times we come into church and try to form a body and we're dysfunctional people and we don't know who we are, but we expect the leadership to discover who we are. It is not my place to find out who you are. It is your place to discover who you are. And when you find out who you are, when you activate who you are, it makes it easy for us to identify who you are. But you can grab a bunch of seedlings, come on somebody, and scatter them out. And unless you like John with a horticulture degree or whatever, I don't know the plants by looking at the young tender leaves. But I got enough sense to know what a full-grown oak tree looks like. I got sense to know what a maturing uh, a fruit tree looks like because we can begin to see the fruit. So... In the, especially in the Pentecostal church in the South, we have told our people that all you need is the Holy Ghost. Listen, you need the Holy Ghost. 
I'm not, I'm not devaluing the power of the Holy Spirit. But we also need coaching. We also need teaching. We also need training. We need to learn how to become self-aware. We need to learn self-care because if you grew up in a Pentecostal church, you were told to hate your flesh. That's not in the Bible. I'm trying to, I'm fitting to throw a Heinz 57 right here. They bought 80 quail just got up and I got to listen. All right, I think self-knowledge is the rarest trait in a human being. Elizabeth Edwards, that was Cleve's great-grandmother wrote that. Listen to this. <laughs> what we don't know about ourselves can and will hurt us. Listen, what we don't know about ourselves can and will hurt us, not to mention others. John Calvin says this, Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Listen to this. To know oneself is above all to know what one lacks. It is to measure oneself against truth. The first product of self-knowledge is humility. Now let's read this out of Romans 12, y'all. Right? I'm going to read basically the whole chapter because it's just that good, okay? And many in here has not read the Bible since last week, so we're going to try to catch you up, okay? Y'all all right? Look at this in verse 1, reading out the Passion Translation. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be His sacred living sacrifice and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights His heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. What? Yielding my life to what God's put me on here is what becomes our genuine expression of worship. Not coming to church on Sunday morning, joining along with the praise team. Worship started a long, long time before you came to church. Come on, it's actually worship is 365, seven days a week, living the surrendered lifestyle. Come on, somebody. All right? Stop imitating the ideas and opinions of the culture around you. God's not looking for imitators. He's looking for originators. Tweet that, somebody. Parsley would say, tweet that. Look at this. Stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total transformation, a total reformation of how you think. Look at this. Right thinking reads to right living. So how am I going to transform my life? Learn to think different. All right. The reading the Bible is not equivalent to transforming your mind, just reading the Bible. When you read the Bible and you apply the Bible, that will lead to transformation of the mind. Come on, Pastor Jim. Hey, it is not that you can quote it. Come on, son. The devil can quote it. The, the, listen, the enemy could quote it, but the reason why Jesus defeated him, he could live what he quoted. He said, every man don't live by bread alone, but every, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Otherwise, Jesus said, my life is surrendered and I'm not moving until I hear the next preceding word. Uh, notice the language. That's the lifestyle of leaning in, not living on what he said. If Abraham lived on what he said, he would have killed Isaac. But there was a fresh preceding word that said, hey, stay the knife. All right? Uh, this will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. 
Let's read on. God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image of your importance. You with me? Instead, honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as the standard of measurement, and then you will see your true value with appropriate self-esteem. What is he saying? I want you to assess yourself honestly against truth. Assess your life and assess yourself honestly against truth. Know who you are, know what your gift is, and know what it's not. Okay? Let's keep on reading. In the human body, why? Now notice how he, notice, I'm just trying to teach you this. But notice how he says, I want you to assess your life against truth. Assess your life against truth. Know who you are. Now the next part he goes into, now he's going to talk about becoming the body. Because we never, I hear people say this, I just don't know, I, I just, I'm trying to find my place where I fit in. I'm trying, and we all struggle that, right? Because Peter says we're living stones, we're living stones in this place. Being built together to form a spiritual house where God himself dwells. Is that what the Bible says? We're living stones. Have you ever seen a mason work? A mason doesn't take a, a, a load of brick and every brick fits just right. He has a trial. He will take and pop that brick. Some of it has to be shaved off. A lot of times it is in that season when we're trying to come become the body. Not only that, it says, how many knows this? Iron sharpens iron. So does the countenance of the friend sharpen another. So I think the commitment has to be, the commitment has to be to the body of people and I'm willing to be cut on. I'm willing to do whatever to find my place in the wall. But when you find your place in the wall, how many knows this, that life comes to you and comes through you. Actually, if you look at this, if you look at this column right here, here's the crazy thing about it. Most people think all the weight's on the bottom. Each one of those stones is bearing the weight because they're joined together through something called mortar. That, that's why people collapse inside of a body because you've never made it the part of the body because if you make it the part of the body and part of the wall, you never bear the weight alone. Come on, somebody. This is how we tote one another's burdens. This is how we rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. Why? Because we a wall. All right. So he's, he's dealing with this. As assess your life against truth. When you can be honest with yourself. Sometimes I'm the hardest person to be honest with me. You know what I'm saying? Be honest with yourself. Now, notice what he's saying. Now he's going to go into the body. Let's look at this. In the human body, there are many parts and organs, each with a unique function. And so it is in the body of Christ. For though we are, we are, we are many, we've all been mingled into one body in Christ. This means that we are all vitally joined to one another with each contributing to others. God's marvelous grace imparts to each one of us varying gifts and ministries that are uniquely ours. God has not given you something second best. He gave something uniquely to you so that you would release your expression. 
All right? So if God has given you the grace gift of prophecy, you must activate your gift by using the proportion of your faith. You have to prophesy. If your grace gift is serving, then then thrive in serving others well. If you have the grace gift of teaching, then be actively teaching and training others. If you have the grace gift of encouragement, then use it often to encourage others. If you have the grace gift of giving to meet the needs of others, then may you prosper in your generosity without any fanfare. If you have the gift of leadership, be passionate about your leadership. And if you have the gift of showing compassion, then flourish in your cheerful display of compassion. Now, listen to this. To know oneself is above all to know what one lacks. Other words, I know where my weaknesses are and I know where my strength is. Are you with me? So today we're learning how to play to our strengths, okay? Sooner or later, we must distinguish between what we are not and what we are. We must cast off our false exterior and find our real self. And I wrote this in my journal. May I learn to see myself with the same delight, pride, and expectation with which God sees me in every moment of every day. Listen to this. Think about this. My weaknesses, my strengths all together. May I learn to see myself with the same delight, pride, and expectation with which God sees me in every moment of my life. Now, I just went home uh, to where my hometown, where I was born and raised, with my family on Christmas on Friday night. And I got um, my first cousin, um, her husband, he's in the ministry. And so we... We, we, we talk often or whatever, and so one of the things that I was talking to him before I ever got there is I was sharing with him about the Enneagram. I said it right, didn't I? Okay. All right. <laughs> the Enneagram, and I was sharing with him the, some of the discoveries that I found on that. How, how I learned about that was through a Revelation Wellness podcast, okay? The Enneagram is a tool, okay? It is the help of you discover uh, who you are, but it is, um, but, and so, but two years ago, he was in a leadership training. And up at uh, he talked about going up to Gainesville at Pastor Jensen's church. And they was, they was doing this stuff, and they was doing the Enneagram. So he said, man, he said, you're two years behind. I said, I'm always behind, man. But I said, God's so gracious, he'll get it to me some kind of way. You know what I'm saying? And so I was always behind. And so anyhow, I was looking at this after listening to this podcast, and I was like, man, everybody needs to learn, find out who you are. Think about this in dating and in, in, in whatever. T.D. Jake shared this, talking about marriage and stuff. He said, I know who I am because I dated myself for a long time. You'd be surprised how many people don't know who they are to date themselves enough to discover who, they, who you are. There is a lot of your makeup that God put in you before you ever entered the earth realm, but there's also a lot of stuff you picked up in your childhood because of the environments that were around you. And the first human instinct is to learn how to survive. And some of us learn how to survive behind personalities, which the word persona comes from the word mask, and we live our entire life behind this mask of false reality. Come on, Brad Paisley's got a song. Online, I'm six foot three. Come on, good looking, got plenty of money driving a Ferrari. But in real life, I'm 300 pounds driving a piece of delivery truck. That's living life behind a mask. How many know this song I'm talking about? All online. You ain't never read the stories about these people that meet online and fly these great distance 
and look at them and they can't even recognize them in the airport because they, they live in their whole life behind a, a, a mask. So anyhow, my cousin, she's, she's my first cousin. She's a lot like me. But so, so we were talking about it. And she said, yeah, Dan said that you got the book on the Enneagram. She said, he's a number eight. I can tell you right now, he's eight. And so the eight is the one in the book that he addresses this number before he addresses any other number on, on the number eight. And so I begin to look at the number eight, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, man. I mean, this is crazy how this is like really some of my personality. So let's just look at it. You got it just a second? Let's look at this right here, and then I'm gonna get, I got some good stuff where we're going. So what I'm trying to say this, you got to honestly assess who you are, find out who you are, and then I want to show you right here on, on some things on your strength. Y'all right? Lord, help this technology. All right. What it's like to be an eight. And the Enneagram teaches you that you got primary numbers. And it almost looks like a satanic hologram or whatever, pentagram, whatever you want to do it. But it teaches, it teaches about there's wing numbers. I score really high on a number eight, but I'm also really, really strong on a number one, which is the perfectionist. I live with a number nine, which is the peacemaker. Can you imagine the number eight challenger compared with the number nine peacemaker? This is why Cleve and I are really good friends. He's a number eight, and he lives with a number nine. Matt and I clash because he's a number nine, and I'm a number eight. Number eight see things out of order very fast. And not only that, because of my gift, an apostolic person sees disorder very, very quick. So they can spend the whole day rearranging the chairs and right the time I cross through the thresholds, I say, why is that chair right there in the fourth row out of order, man? I told y'all to straighten the chairs. And it frustrates them. Listen to me. It frustrates them because I don't notice all the hard work. Come on, I'm just getting in my own life. She'll beat me up when I get home. You ain't notice everything that I did do. You notice what I didn't do. Why? Because the challenger... Listen, but the Enneagram is not so that you could, you could, people have to adapt to your personality. Remember, personality comes from the word persona, which means mask. A lot of that, if you start digging really into my life, you'll realize that a lot of this come from a fear mechanism when I was a child because my dad was a bad alcoholic and we didn't know how or when or what condition he would be in when he come home. I love him, but he crippled us as children because of his addiction and the problems in which he had. And it's taken me as a grown man to wade through this and learn how to figure this out. Okay? So I'm just going with, with our thing. So a challenger, let me just say this. What it's like to be an eight in my world. I've been told I am too blunt and aggressive. We're on a call, phone conversation one time. I, I'm on the phone with a leader who's asked me to do something, uh, whatever, and they call me or whatever. This leader's asked me to do something, and the person is telling me, says, sorry, I'm late getting on, uh, sorry, I'm late calling you or whatever. We had someone to die, and this is what we're doing or whatever, and I'm on the phone. I said, okay, well, just tell me what I need to do and let me know when I need to do it. Catherine said, oh, my God. She said, you didn't even say you were sorry for their loss or anything. It's not that I didn't. Uh, People gonna get up. Listen to this. I've been told, I've been told I'm too blunt and aggressive. I've been aggressive my whole life. Doing things halfway is not my spiritual gift. Anything we do, we do it to the max. Listen to this. This is eights. Eights keep the world moving, babe. No, I'm playing. I ought to calm down. <laughs> I enjoy a good verbal skirmish just to see what others are made of. 
I had to put this thing. Listen to this. In relationships that matter to me, I insist on being honest about conflicts and staying in the fight till things are worked out. It's hard for me to trust people. Listen to this. It's hard for me to trust people. Justice is worth fighting for. I can sniff out other people's weakness the first time I meet them. Listen, there's a very strong aid. I won't reveal who it is. That I'm very good friends with the other strong aid. And when we go somewhere, the first thing right at the time we get in the vehicle, I can tell you that Jug Ryder's weak. <laughs> a nine, man, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. Listen to me. Hey, I can sniff out other people's weakness the first time I meet them. Saying no isn't a problem for me. But a nine is a peacemaker, which is a mediator. So Kathy said, we can't tell them no. I said, tell them no. We can't tell them no. Tell them no. You with me? I welcome opposition. Bring it. I make decisions fast and from the gut. I don't like it when people beat around the bush. I'm weary of people who are super nice. Someone's overly nice. They want something, Catherine. I'm telling you right now. They're trying to use us. Listen When I walk into the room, I know immediately who has the most power. I don't have much respect for people who don't stand up for themselves. Listen to this. One of my mottos is a good offense is better than a good defense. Don't mess with people I love. This is what it's like in the world of being eight. I know I'm respected, but sometimes I want to be loved. I have no problem confronting a bully. This has been my whole entire life. I have been, I hate to say this, but to be honest, I just met a man, uh, I, he did not recognize who I was, but he's, he's from my hometown. Uh, he's a good brother in the Lord, and he was in the Piggly Wiggly, and he travels for this company, and he cooks sausage. He did not recognize who I was, but I knew exactly who he was. And so he, he's, he was cooking these sausage. He said, you want some sausage? I said, man, where's those sausage from? I said, he said, Alma, Georgia. I said, I don't want nothing from Alma. He started laughing. He said, you must have married a woman from there. <laughs> I said, Lord, we're going to get some hate mail, man. I said, <laughs> but I graduated with his oldest son, didn't even realize who I was, you know. And, um, but this is what he said. He started laughing. Gosh, I'm, I'm letting uh, confession is good for the soul. But this is God's honest truth. I had a lady to retire from teaching because of me. God's done a lot in my life. She retired. And she said, if a kid ever came through this school like that again, I cannot take it. She retired. When I got saved, she sent this long letter about faith in God, to how much God's, her faith in God has increased because of my life got, you know, because changed. She came to one of my meetings and God healed her in her back. You know what I'm saying? And he was laughing. He said, you ought to send her a Christmas card and tell her you're still going for the glory of God. But the only time I ever got in fights at school was not because I started it, but it was because of people were being bullied and I stood up for it. Listen to this. The eight is the only number on the Enneagram that will rise up against people of power to confront them. It is in their makeup to do that. Now, there's a lot of good positives about that personality. There's a lot of negative. And so what I'm saying is this, is I have a coach in my life that will tell me the truth. 
And I hope you have a coach in your life that'll tell you the truth. Because sometimes we don't tell the truth to ourselves. We don't use Romans 12. And we don't assess our own life with truth. So you have to have people in your life that will assess you with truth. You with me now? So one of the things is, is I said I haven't worked out. And I, I hurt my, my left my left arm and got the tendon and so I let it rest for about a week then it turned into two weeks now it's been resting for about seven weeks and so one of the things my coach said to me is he said I haven't missed a four day workout since I graduated high school there's nothing wrong with your cardio gonna hurt your arm get your butt up and get moving but see to some people you would have got offended and took your ball and went to the house but here's the thing, either we, we're going to take and what we're, we're preaching and activate this into our life, or in 2022, you're going to be sitting in the same condition you are right here at the close of this year. Come on now, I refuse that. I refuse to be the same. Come on, somebody. I want, I want to grow and I want to change. Now, let's, let me read you a couple things right here. All right. Listen to this. Here's the last three things. <clears throat> uh, I have no problem confronting a bully. Number 19, if God wanted to wear, people to wear their hearts on their sleeve, he would have put it there. Number 20, under my tough exterior is a tender, loving heart. Now, here's a couple of things I highlighted in this book. As strange as it sounds, what feels like intimidation to others feels like intimacy to an eight. For them, conflict is connection. I have no problem speaking truth to power, and they are perhaps the only number on the Enneagram who are brave enough to confront and take down the oppressors and dictators of the world. Having witnessed and experienced the negative consequences of powerlessness as a childhood, the eight identifies with the easily preyed upon and rushes to their aid. Eights are strong defender of the weak ones. Eights who are often more dualistic than non-dualistic non thinkers see things as black or white, good or bad, fair or unfair, People are friend or foe, weak or strong, streetwise or suckers. In an eight's mind, you have you and I have opinions while they have facts. They absolutely believe their viewpoints or positions on issues and are irrefutable. Junior, you have the freedom to say this in our conversation. I will say to this, these are the facts. These are the facts. <laughs> that is coming from those parts. Are you with me now? So I'm just saying is the Enneagram is just a tool to help you become self-aware. How many knows this? The book of Hosea says this, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What we don't know is what's taking us out. Are you with me? All right, so listen. So there's tools out there and that'll help you do that. And so the last thing I'll say about an eight, and Catherine can probably attest to this, that an eight can start an argument in an empty house. But go there, look and, see what, look and see what some of your numbers are. It'll help you in your relationships. It'll help you on your job to discover what you're strong at and what you're weak at. It will show you where some arguments are coming in. It'll just help you with other things, okay? So here's the thing. Find your strength, listen to this, and strengthen it. People will be more readily to reach their potential when they work on their strength rather than working on their weakness. What? So I thought about this. I wrote this down in my journal and I read this. You remember in 2 Kings chapter 4 when the prophet shows up and the woman was in debt up to her. She, was going, she, she, she didn't know what the creditors were coming to take her children. Remember this? The prophet said, what do you have in the house? Listen, none of us in this room are left without this morning. You have everything you need right now. 
now to unlock your potential to do everything that God told you that you were going to do. You have it right now in your possession. You just got to recognize it. She looked back at the prophet and said, I have nothing in the house except for a small jar of oil. Most people would overlook that. That was the very thing, listen, that God used to break the financial lack off of her life and to sustain her through the famine. What do you have in the house? So this is what we do. We've got to go to God and pray like David. Search me, O God. Show me what is in me. What do you have in the house? If you have been prophesied over and said there's a writing gift on your life, you got to start with a blog before you can ever start with a book. I'm amazed at people to get prophetic words where well, God's going to use me as a great worship leader. Well, let me tell you this. If you can't even be faithful to show up to worship practice, you can hang the rest of that in the trash can. Just because God said it don't mean it's going to happen in a prophecy. you got to work the word and work with God in the prophetic word. Come on. The reason why Mary gave birth to Jesus because she said, let it be unto me according to your word. And then the Bible says she kept these things and pondered them in her heart. Every day her meditation was on the word, what was spoken over her life. And that is what was producing that seed to grow in her life. So what do you have in the house? What do you have in your possession right now that God has entrusted in your life that will change your future? Well, I thought if I just went to church. No, what are you actively pursuing outside the walls of these church? Outside the walls of this church. What are you actively pursuing to cultivate in your life? The ch this Sunday morning expression is a, just a chance to get together as family and draw strength from the family. Are you with me now? All right. What do you have in your house? Listen to this. Here's a, here's a professor at Macomb Community College who says this. We spend most of our 20s discovering all of the 100 things that we can be. In our 20s, we're full of vision. You're going to be an astronaut, airplane pilot, Green Beret. You with me? In our 20s, we spend most of our 20s with 100 things that we can be. As we mature up into our 30s, we start eliminating the things we can't be. If you cannot stand body fluids, blood, and guts, you're not called in the nursing field. <laughs> At the, Lord Jesus, let me help. At, we was ministering in a nursing home one time, and there was this object laying on the ground, and I knew it come from somebody's body. Okay, let's just put it at that. And I couldn't even hardly minister. I'm not going to lie. I'm not called to handle that. Okay? So it doesn't matter what kind of dream in my 20s I got. My sister is a nurse. She gets excited about that. I mean, I mean, fluids coming out of somebody's leg. And I don't, oh, we just, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Allison, every time I bring my, I had, you know, kid over there, I mean, Ash had a rising on his ear one time. She's examining, you know, holding it right, you know what I'm saying? They feast off of that. You with me? So in our 20s, we got a hundred things that we can be, but by the time we're maturing in our 30s, we take and we eliminate what we can't be. So what happens in the 40s is we start putting together the package 
This is where I'm at. I'm 41 years old. I am not going to lay no bunt down in my 40s. I'm looking to hit a grand slam. So this is my pursuit with God. Come on, somebody. It was when Pastor Dale got in his 40s. Come on, somebody, at the end of the 90s, when God began to blow the door. I know where I'm at in my life. But what I'm saying is, is I want to help you. Don't be sitting in your 60s trying to figure out what you're doing. All right. Y'all right? Let's move right on here. So this, as we matured our 30s, we begin to discover that uh, all of the things that we will never be. The challenge for us as we reach our 40s and beyond is to put it all together, to know our own capabilities and to recognize our own limitations and become the best we can be. Listen to this. I wrote this down. Some of us, John Maxwell teaches this, about caps on your life. And there are caps that exist on people. Some of these come from classrooms when we're little. Some of it comes from our mom and dads. That's why Abraham, if you're going to be the father of faith, listen, you got to leave your father's house and get out from under his, his teeth. Come on now. Leave your father's house and leave his land. Why? Because God spoke to Abraham's father first. Tara, and he did not, Tara, Tara didn't go to distance. He got in Haran and stopped there at Haran and died there. So he said, listen, if you're going to become the father of faith, you got to get out from underneath your father's household. So some of us are capped uh, financially and other things just from our own upbringing. You all right? You okay with this? Now let's look at this. So Charles Schultz. The creator of the Peanut comic strip says this, life is like a 10-speed bicycle. Most of us have gears we have never used. You do not want to be in your 70s realizing that you had so much potential and you had eight gears hanging on your side and you never got out of second gear. Do what it takes. Listen, gifting is free. Maturity is costly. You all right? That's why everybody's not walking around with a killer body. That's why I don't look like David Hasselhoff on the beach. Because we don't want to spend the time and have the discipline of a diet to take to get the weight off. But at the same time, we cannot keep making excuses about an unhealthy lifestyle. Oh my God. <laughs> it's kind of like it's kind of like this. I was listening to Lance Walnut the other day. He said this. He said, it's like running a credit card up that you cannot pay. And then you send $1,000 on the credit card to a TV evangelist believing God's going to get you through. Huh? It's the same way we live with our health. Yeah, yes, oh, Lord. Come on now. Oh, I'm going to quit. People getting already, people's getting upset. John said we got hate mail coming in right now. Listen to this. Life's like a 10-speed bicycle. Look at this. Most of us have gears we never, we never, we never even used. So here's what I'm talking about. When, in, in, when I started out in the church, I have evolved and my I have been stretched a lot of what I believe from where I started at. When I started out, our worship consisted of a choir out of the Red Book hymnals. However, means I, I can still quote you the numbers. You know what I'm saying? Scene 120, Victory in Jesus. 333, I fly away. That was the one that put us over. You know what I'm saying? Somebody's going down with I fly away. And then at the end of the choir singing, we took up, we took up prayer requests where people stood up, pray for Uncle Joey, got an ingrown toenail, and that take up 10 minutes. I'm getting hey, I'm just telling you where I was at, okay? Then we sang specials. And during the special, when the congregation is saying, bless them, Lord, that should be a key that you shouldn't be singing a special. 
And people sang specials in our church, and this is what they said. We tell them they did a good job. Oh, it wasn't me. That was all God. If that's all of the Lord, then we going home, friend. Come on, somebody. That was a little bit of God, and the rest of it was mostly you. Man, y'all right? So listen here. So I have, but listen, how did I change the way I think and how did I, how have I evolved to where I'm at today? I had people that would stretch me and show me something else. Catherine will tell you this in worship. We didn't just take our worship team and just do this. She would load them up on a van and take them. This is where I'm headed. Look at this. This is what I want you to do. So when you see it or when you hear it or experience it, you can change. That's why people look at us waving flags and think we're crazy because they have never seen it in their church and they've never been exposed to more. But if all you've ever had, if all you've ever had is chopstick, and you ain't never ate no Thick Delmonico. Lord Jesus, let us pray right now. God have mercy. I'm hungry too, Lord. I should have said that. We, in closing, let us stand. We're almost done here. Hold on. <laughs> listen to this. I got to finish this right here. Hurry. Listen to this. There's a story of this old timer that approached a young boy. He was fishing. And in this, in this, this old timer saw this young kid, he was fishing, and he had a couple fish already on him. And as the old timer was approaching him, the kid set the hook, and I mean, his line was running out, this fish fighting, and he landed this huge largemouth bass. And the old timer said, that's a whopper, kid. And about that time, the kid unhooks him and flips the fish back in the water. And the old timer said, what are you doing? What are you doing? That was, that was the biggest bass I've ever seen. And the kid replied, but my frying pan is only 10 inches wide. Now let me tell you something. Listen to me right here. You got to hear this from the heart of God. What happened to read, I feel the Lord just come on me right here. What's happened, I am a strong visionary person. And I have spoke vision for seven years in this building so strong. Danny looked at me and he said, man, you are a lion feeder. But he said, the lambs can't eat what the lions are trying to devour. So I am doing my best to reach back and try to put some legs underneath some lions, uh, some lambs and break it down. Listen to me. But all, if you only hear vision, but you got a, nine, a 10-inch frying pan, what I'm telling you is going straight over your head and you don't even have faith to believe you can have that in your life. I remember used to sitting there on the chair watching Pastor Dale pull up in that big $2,500 $2, diesel truck and sitting there listening at the revelation he had and thought I could never be there. Guess what? It took me 20 years, but I'm there. You got to have faith to believe what I'm preaching is not just for me, Cleve, or Ken, or David. It is for you to be activated in your life. But I can't move in your house and expand your frying pan. All I can tell you is where I am feasting at. If I'm sitting down at a leader, and I'm listening to a leader communicate, and he tells me this is the book he's reading, I will have that book, Matt, 
had the, he's, had, he's got the privilege of traveling with me a lot. If I'm listening to a leader and he says, this is where I got this, what do I do? I, I will get on Amazon right there, boom, and I'll have it sent to my house. Well, I download it instantly. Kendall's the best invention a man's ever come up with. You with me? But you don't have to download it by Amazon. Who supports abortion? I know all that. We got some people with a bookstore. Tell them what you want. So you can't sit in here. Listen to me. I'm, I'm pastoring you. You can get mad or whatever, okay? But don't get upset with me when you're broke two years from now. When you're still in the same, you you still in the same size pants and everything else. If you hear it say this is the greatest thing that's ever impacted my life, I'm gonna read it. Well, Pastor, I just don't like to read. That's the reason why you're where you're at. You have stunted growth because you cannot read. All right, get out of that. People get upset with that. Listen to this. All right. So here's the thing. All right. So I, I got to have people to increase the size of my frying pan. We need people in our life to, to, to stretch our capacity. You are more than what you think you are right now, okay? You are more than what you think you are. I'm going back to my own life. When I used, I'll never forget being at, um, at maybe Jekyll Island, but I want to think it was St. Simon's when we had a CFM Vance. Derek Jr. pulled up there in a brand new ride. I'm talking about a red LTZ Tahoe got out. You know what I'm saying? And I, I just looked and I just said, me and Catherine had that explorer. You know what I'm saying? We parked around back because we didn't want nobody to see it. I'm just talking to you. I'm telling you where I come from. When we planted our first church, church, I had a 1988 Nissan hard body truck. Did I not? Man, we had to pray that it would crank because you had to smash the clutch in because the business had gone on the starter. I couldn't afford to place a starter. I know what I'm talking about. I've been there. Grant called it the monster truck. Didn't have no AC. The men on my job said it was so ugly that you needed a tetanus shot to look at it. But let me tell you, I knew that that truck didn't define who I was. And I knew that storefront never defined who I was. Come on, somebody. It was Orville and Wilbur who took bicycle parts and built a plane. Let me tell you another man that took bicycle parts. His name was Henry Ford, and he, and he built the first vehicle. He built the vehicle in a small little building behind his house, and after he got the vehicle built, he realized he couldn't get it through the door. What did he do? He didn't knock the vehicle he built. He knocked down the wall to get the vehicle out. That's what I'm doing this morning. I'm knocking the walls down on your mind so you can believe for something different and get somewhere you ain't never been. My God, I'm preaching this morning. I'm about to... So you got to have people that can kick the walls of your imagination down. This is why Walt Disney, he didn't call his men engineers. He called them imagineers. Why? Because if you can imagine it, we can build it. Come on, God is the original imagineer. He said, I'll do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask, think, or imagine. All right. We're almost done right here. You'll give me 10 minutes of borrowed time. All right. Listen to this. Momentum. Momentum. Everybody wants momentum. Momentum is not the result of one push. It is the result of many continual pushes. Momentum, let's say this, in your health. I don't understand this. I don't understand how it takes three weeks to get four pounds off and one visit to sisters gets you four and a half pounds back. That ain't fair. I mean, you hit the crackle barrel one time, blew it, three weeks of being in the gym or watching Richard Simmons, whatever you're doing. 
You with me? But how you get, listen, this is where we give up. Three weeks. People invest three weeks into, into, into health. You watch. Come January, you won't be able to get, especially with COVID, you won't be able to get in the line at the subway going to be out there to the ice house. Everybody's got, everybody's doing it. So this is the year I'm getting a hold of it. Get a hold of it. Man, he's going to get on to me right here, but I'm going to tell you this. Danny is a strong, he's like an 8.5, not just an 8, he's an 8.5. She calls me. He said, I want to hear another revelation you got from God until you've been in the gym. Show me you can do it. Now, so when you first start, I mean, when I first started jogging, my knees were speaking in tongues to my mind. Saying, get off of me. You with me? There's this, there's this, there's this guy. I forget his name. He was a part owner of the Atlanta Hawks. He got in this long distance running, and he met this guy at a race. It was a Navy SEAL, and this Navy SEAL was, I mean, he was unbelievable. And he said, "I want to hire you to come live with me, and train me." So his first, so one of the things he did is he noticed one night it was freezing, ice was all over the ground. The seal told him he wasn't sleeping inside. He said, I'm sleeping out here on the ice. And he didn't have nothing on but a T-shirt and a light pair of pants. He said, man, why are you doing that? He said, because I'll never allow myself to get in a rut. We're going to sleep outside tonight. So he's pushing him. He pushed him to physical exhaustion. You know what he told him? He said, when your body just told you it can't go no further, the maximum amount of potential you are in your body right now is 40%. You got 60% on reserve. I'm trying to tell you this. Your mind's the one telling you you can't get to the next level. There ain't no devil out there with no artillery holding us back. It's between our own ears that's keeping you defeated. My God, I'm talking this morning. Listen to me. So this seal told him, he said, you're only at 40%. You got 60% in reserve that you've not even tapped into. I'm looking at my own life and I'm asking this prayer, God, what have I got in my possession that I have not tapped into? You ready? Let's finish with this. All right. Listen to this quote. Man, there's some good quotes right here. The place between your comfort zone and your dream is where life takes place. Are you willing to be uprooted from that comfort place you're at? Huh? See, let me, man, I'm back on the food today. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to have to fast behind preaching on this food like this. And I, got a, I get at home, and I get a large box sitting in my driveway. And Pastor Fial sent me a New York cheesecake. Oh, God, have mercy, Jesus. John Bentley, we got to break him down. You know what I'm saying? Because he'd be in there with just. It, huh? But a lot of times, instead of that food that we think we got to have for comfort, if you feast in the Word for five minutes, that food craving leave you. Come on, y'all. David wrote in Psalms, My flesh, my body, crieth out after thee. You just got to train it. But what the reason why we have no power is because the church is led by their body, not by their spirit. 
And we have people to quote the word to us says this, we are body, soul, and spirit. That's incorrect order. And that's not what the Bible says. You are spirit, soul, and body. Bodies always last. Because your spirit should be dominating everything from your soul realm to your physical body. These that are led by the spirit, these are the mature sons of God. We are sons of God in the Greek. They become a full age. All right, so let's finish up with this. I got to find the landing strip right here. So we're going to do it. Listen to this. You can be successful if others don't believe in you. But you can never be successful if you don't believe in yourself. I'll say it again. You can reach your potential if other people don't believe in you. But you will never reach your potential unless you believe in yourself. Something's got to click that you say, God has really strengthened me in this area. You with me? I used to approach writing that I cannot write. I can write. I just can't type. <laughs> I can't spell. You do not put no money on me in a spelling bee. Are you with me now? Let me just say this. John Bevere. How many know who John Bevere is? John Bevere wrote his first book. Nobody would pick it up. He wrote his second book. Nobody would pick it up. He, he self-published his first two books. Then he had this message that was downloaded in him from the Lord called The Bait of Satan. How many's ever read that book? The company that denied publishing him, he was able to go to lunch with a friend who sat with that, that, the, the CEO of that company. And he said, John, what is God speaking to you? And he put all this in there and told him about the book. And so finally he said, we'll take the book. It was the worst investment at the time that the company ever did with a book. Didn't even sell but like 5,000 copies. The book wasn't moving nowhere. But yet God told him to do it. I'm just trying to tell you, you got to start somewhere. You with me? So he gets invited on a 20-minute show that's got an international platform. And they said, listen, John, the guy did say he would mention your book if you would come on. He would mention it. He gets there. He's only allotted 20 minutes. The guy asked him one question at the very beginning about the book, and John preaches for 40 minutes without stopping, and they don't cut him off. By morning, the book had sold out of print. And now Messenger International, him and Lisa's writing books, and they're hitting shelves like whatever. What happened? Somebody took the cap off for him. Somebody got him exposed we're afraid of exposure. I, we need exposure. Come on, somebody. You need exposed to different... Listen, when you're praying about your finances, God is not going to put somebody up in your yard that's driving a Volkswagen Beetle that's, that's shutting off three or four times that's held together by Christian bumper stickers. God's going to bring somebody in a Mercedes up to your house. Come on now. Huh? I got to be done. I'm... I'm Let's finish with these two stories. Y'all ready? We're fixing to pray and go home. All right. Kenneth Copeland. How many watches the Victory Channel? Kenneth Copeland. You know how old Kenneth Copeland was when he went to Bible college? He was almost 30 years old. He didn't even have enough money to attend. He went by faith because God told him in glory to sell everything they had and go to Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
He's living in this little old bitty house. That's all he had. He had no money. But you know, one of the things he found as a young man that he was strong in, it wasn't preaching. It was aviation. I'm trying to tell you not to overlook your gift. See, what I'm telling you is David was overlooked by his father and all of his brothers. And so when he hears his story, uh, Samuel's coming, the prophet's coming to his house to anoint one of his sons as the next king. Notice how David laid there and didn't even believe that David, uh, uh, Jesse laid there not even believing David was good enough to be in the line. But David had found something being a loner on the backside of the desert taking care of a few sheep. Number one, he found the goodness of God and the grace of God and he learned how to worship the Lord. But he also found something else he was good at. He was good slinging a slingshot. Come on now. See, what you, you can't think the gift that you have is very insignificant. But see, Kenneth has got a dream of being a preacher. Well, what does, I mean, you don't get sermons probably by looking at aviation logs and, develop, and, and studying aviation. But God, every time God tells him, study avi- aviation. Why? Because he's going to ORU. Well, he gets there, his, his tuition is supernaturally paid for by God. You with me? Supernaturally paid for by God. And he gets there, and there was a man at ORU who was needing a pilot. His name was Earl Roberts. And he hires Kenneth to fly the plane. Now think about everybody's wanting one-on-one time with the man of God. Now he's got it because he's sitting right behind him while he's flying in. How many ever watched Kingdom Connection? There's a young man up in Gainesville, Georgia called Jensen Franklin. First time he was on TBM was not to preach the gospel, it was to play a saxophone. And he was standing, in the, he was standing there playing a the saxophone, making the saxophone sing left and right. There was a lady out in California with pink hair and big eyelashes. And she said, Paul, who's that young man playing that saxophone? She said, I bet he can preach. Well, we'll find out who he is, honey. Well, he's pastoring a church in Gainesville called Free Chapel. The rest is history. And the rest is history with Kenneth Copeland. You find your strength and get on your strength. And I guarantee you, at the end of 2021, you're going to make the whole world laugh. From Sparks, Georgia. Father, I bless your people right here to find your strength. If your strength is mathematics, by gosh, get in mathematics. Are you with me now? You with me? Father, I bless them to find their strength. And I bless their strength to be strengthened right now by the power of your grace. Father, I pray no more wandering around, flopping around, wondering what could be, what will be, what should be. What is it? What have you gifted me with? And Father, I pray that you would begin to identify that with great grace, empower your people in the mighty name of Jesus. Will you give God a great God bless you? All right, friend. How many want, how many wants, let me, let me ask this. Who wants to learn about the Enneagram that you serious? You would like to know that right here in your life. All right, I'm going to give this right here to Michelle's side. I'll give it that. Say Merry Christmas. All right, God bless you. We'll see you here next Sunday. Check us out Wednesday night. We hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.